great blessing to be with y'all here today as well. It's a great blessing to be with y'all here today. Would you please turn in your copy of the Word of the Lord to Proverbs chapter 1. I was, As I was in sermon prep this week, actually, I was remarking on, I haven't heard that many sermons from Proverbs. Often these things can get a little bit moralistic. But by God's grace, uh, as a dear friend of mine who taught intro to homiletics at Greenville Seminary once said, uh, you want to make sure that the rabbi in the back of the room can't agree wholeheartedly with your sermon. So we're going to find Christ in this text, of course. So we want to make sure that that doesn't occur, that we can't distinguish our sermons in the Christian church from those of the moralistic world. So if you would turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1, we'll be looking specifically at verses 1 through 7 for our scripture reading this morning. And there we read, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Would you join me this morning in a word of prayer of illumination as we begin to unpack the wonders of this text? Most holy triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise your holy, eternal, and everlasting name, O Lord. Uh, We praise the name of the Father who has foreknown us and predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. We praise you, O Lord Jesus Christ, O most holy Son of God, through your sacrifice upon Golgotha's hill. For your blood, which was so freely shed for your people, for all who would believe in you. We praise the name of the Holy Spirit, who quickens the heart, who illumines the mind, who makes the text of the Holy Scriptures come alive. For we know that the Spirit works in, with, and through the Word. And we praise, O you, most holy triune God. We praise your everlasting and holy name. Father, it is our prayer that you would give us the Spirit in abundant measure. That you would cause us to understand what Solomon is trying to pass on to his son. May we learn from this forefather in the faith the words of wisdom. May we understand Christ better, who is the Logos, who is wisdom incarnate, the very wisdom of God the Father, to save his people. O Lord, would you visit us this morning with power by your Spirit, as we unpack the wonders of this text. We ask that in the holy name of Christ Jesus, as we are commanded to do. Amen. And if you would, once again, turn to your scriptures, if you're not over there, to Proverbs chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. And if you look in your bulletin, I really do enjoy how this congregation does that too. It makes it a lot simpler, and uh, with my rambling sometimes as well, and as you know pastors can do, uh, we can often get onto little rabbit trails and such. My wife is good about reminding me about trying to keep it within the lens of certain uh, structure in a homiletical way in making sermons and such. So thank you for doing that. But church, I want us to think too, because the book of Proverbs is one primarily centered on the topic of wisdom. Not just a heavenly wisdom, but it's also an earthly wisdom in a sort of way. Now, there is a philosophical quest for enlightenment that every person in humanity is on. In varied ways, they're searching for it. They're searching for a certain wisdom, something that's outside of yourself, that gives meaning to everything we see. 
And every one of these philosophical quests, they're always met with despair. Think, for instance, of the great philosopher, the father of Western philosophy, Socrates, who once said that the only thing he knew for certain is that he knew nothing. He said that right before drinking the the famed hemlock as well, when he took his own life after being judged guilty in Athens. The Buddha, who is the great founder of that Eastern religion of Buddhism, never found it and simply wasted away by eating rotten meat and simply dying by the wayside. Or think of the great humanist and one of the great minds behind 1930s and 1940s Nazism, Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche was simply driven to despair and ended up, his life was a very, very despairing one, to put it mildly. And he simply ended his life by putting the pistol in his mouth and pulling the trigger. Leaving his own philosophy that life was simply meaningless. And that the only cure for all of life's ailments was just simply ending it. Well, all of these men were regarded as wise in their times, were they not? These are some of the greatest philosophers that we still have books from. We still see books from Plato. We still see books regarding the diatribes and the discourses of Socrates. We still read about Buddha's wisdom for the Buddhists. But all of these men never found wisdom, and they regretted everything at the end of it. Did they ever find true wisdom? The answer, of course, is no. Because true wisdom and true satisfaction comes from knowing God, the true God. This is the only source of satisfaction. John Piper has built an entire ministry off of this, that God is most glorified when we are satisfied in Him. And that is a very true statement after all, because true satisfaction comes from knowing God, from being united to Him. This wisdom from on high, this wisdom from heaven, it is alone satisfying. If we try to put our trust in any vain philosophies or how much riches we can store up in this life or how much notoriety we can get, or if we go back to that old saying, he who dies with the most toys wins then the world thinks you've lived a good life. You're truly satisfied. But Solomon here is showing what the truly wise man searches for, where true wisdom comes from, and the reasons why we need to seek wisdom. And this wisdom, of course, does not come from just simply on the earth. Solomon makes that clear, especially in verse 7. That's why it's tied in with this text. Is because this true wisdom, this true knowledge, is not simply gleaned from looking outside at us and walking through nature. It comes from God. It comes from our union with Christ. So what I want us to think about today is Solomon gives the reasons for seeking wisdom, the wise man's search for wisdom, and the source of that wisdom. We're going to look at those three things in these verses. And as a bit of a background intro to this text, Solomon is opening up his book of wisdom. Now, Solomon in 1 Kings 3, we all know this story, of course, if we've been in the church at all. He prays to the Lord, and the Lord says, I will grant you one of these things. And he simply asks for wisdom to be able to rule well, to be a good ruler amongst his people. And the Lord says, since he has asked for this, it shows that he has wisdom, first and foremost, and that he will give him even more. You see that later on when the two women come with the one child, and he threatens to cut the child in half and give a piece to each. And the one woman, whose son it truly was, said, don't do that, just give him to her. Truly wisdom. 
So he seeks wisdom to know how to rule God's people well, how to properly serve God, and how to be a good leader amongst his people. And God answers that prayer by making him the wisest man on earth, and also giving him riches by giving him power, by giving him authority, by giving him a very stable reign as well in Judah. It was one of the last stable reigns for the people of God, actually. Because then after that, you go into the long decline if you read through the books of the kings. And what does the wisest man on earth understand about why one should gain wisdom and where does it come from? This is a very good book to consult about that. If the wisest man who ever lived came to you and said, here, listen to me for a little while and learn how to properly live your life. If you want to live a good life, live one for the glory of God. If this man came to you and said these things, and you knew it true that he was the wisest man who had ever walked the face of the planet, surely you would listen to him, right? Wisdom would dictate that after all, because wisdom knows when to speak and when to listen. And Solomon is saying in our text here, sit down and listen for a little bit. So Solomon begins his Proverbs, and he writes most of them with this And he writes it with this in mind, with why one should seek wisdom, where this wisdom comes from, and what a wise man looks like. So let's begin going through our text then. And in verses 1 through 4, we're going to see here the reasons for seeking wisdom. Or we could also think of it as the reasons why Solomon writes the book of Proverbs. And he begins it there with a superscription. And we know about Solomon, of course, the son of David, the king of Israel. Now, David was a very wise king, a man after God's own heart. After all, we know that God himself said that about David. But Solomon is always referred to as the wise one. God is always going to remind us that Solomon was a very wise man. So Solomon is writing all of these Proverbs probably at the later part of his reign. He's probably an older man by now and is writing to his sons and his children, showing them what to do. One could imagine, too, Rehoboam, his next son, who would preside over the kingdom of Israel, would have been sitting there listening to his father's wisdom as he began to die. So Solomon writes this book, most of the Proverbs here, just as David wrote most of the Psalms, Solomon is going to write the majority of these Proverbs here. And he begins with why he's writing these Proverbs, or why we should seek wisdom and the reasons for doing it. And the first of these is in verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So the first reason why we need to seek wisdom is literally to know it. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand these things, to discern it. And this is proper because, after all, in order to grasp wisdom, we first must understand it. We must be able to process what exactly is going on. We must be able to discern wisdom from foolishness, after all. This is a mark of Christian maturity, after all, is it not? When someone comes to you with a new doctrine, with a new revelation from God, like the Mormon church did in the 1800s, well, wisdom dictates that this man's a fool and he doesn't know what he's talking about. He said that he's been walking with angels. He said that he received a prophecy from the Lord that only he can interpret. Well, wisdom dictates if one is biblically apprised and is biblically wise, knows that that's foolishness. So the first goal and the first reason for seeking wisdom is to know it, to know it intimately as well. This word know, which is going to come into play later on as well in verse 7, this word to know, it details a very intimate knowledge as well. 
It's almost like a knowledge between a husband and a wife. After all, this word is used after all uh, early on in the book of Genesis when Adam knows his wife. Now, of course, we know what that means, but it also means a very intimate knowledge. So the first reason for seeking wisdom is to know it intimately, to be able to understand words of insight. And in verse 3, he gives us another reason why we should continue onward, to receive instruction in wise dealing. Now, wisdom knows when to sit down, to be quiet, and to listen to somebody who's been there before. I confess that this one's really hard for me sometimes by way of personal analogy. And Solomon goes on to say in a lot of his Proverbs that it is hard for a young man sometimes to sit down and to listen to his elders. And I confess that being a younger man, not yet 30, that is very true. Solomon is 100% right on that. I can confess, even in the seminary, it's hard sometimes to sit there and listen to Joey Piper tell me why he has a wonderful plan for my life. But wisdom would dictate to sit down, be quiet, know that the man has 50 plus years of pastoral ministry. He might know a thing or two that you could learn. Something that I'm sure Pastor Forrester, as well back there, could attest to. Many years of pastoral ministry gives one much wisdom. But wisdom dictates this. It knows when to receive instruction in wise dealing. And Solomon explains what exactly that's for. Righteousness, justice, and equity in the ESV as we see it. It's to know godly living. To know what true righteousness is. Righteousness that comes only from the scriptures. Righteousness that comes from union to Christ. Righteousness that comes from knowing God and knowing Christ Jesus whom he sent. That is knowing righteousness. Not simply right conduct in a moral way. But it's knowing who righteousness truly is incarnate. Or the righteousness of God. And then knowing justice as well. Now that's a big buzzword today in our American culture, is it not? What justice is. But true justice is dictated by the author of justice. Is that not true? True justice is written by God the Father. Not from what mankind understands as just. If we were a law unto ourselves of I interpret justice and you interpret justice, those two justices might not be the same thing. But when we go back to the Bible, when we go back to understanding what true wisdom is, true wisdom dictates what true justice really looks like. After all, this is God's world, the creator of the cosmos. He understands what justice is or equity or from where we understand the word fairness or equality between mankind. Once again, another big buzzword that our culture by and large gets very wrong. Equity between Mankind can only exist in one way, truly. You can try to force it any way you wish. That's what they tried in Soviet Russia, at least, and many died. That's what they tried to do in Nazi Germany in a certain way, and many died as well. But true equity comes from the gospel. True equity comes from wisdom, and wisdom is knowing God. True equity comes from the gospel which repairs man to man as well as man to God. All of this... Cultural malarkey and nonsense about trying to make everyone equal is foolishness. It's not going to happen with fallen man. It can only happen through knowing God, through knowing wisdom, through knowing his church, through knowing the truth, what God has given us here. Thirdly, we see another reason to seek wisdom. It's to give prudence to the simple, 
Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now prudence here is simply wise thought process. These proverbs are to teach the seeker. Wisdom is also to teach the seeker. Now the simple here does not simply mean daft or stupid. That means a young man, literally. Or it means a youth. It means someone who is young and is simply trying to understand. True wisdom says, I know what I know, and I know where I need to grow in, after all. I don't proclaim myself to be too, too great of a welder. If I had to weld something, I would seek a welder's help. Or if I had a problem with the engine on my car, wisdom would dictate, since I'm not a mechanic, to go and find somebody who understands mechanics. That's what wisdom is. So these Proverbs, this wisdom, is to give prudence and wise thought process to the simple. And it's also to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. It's to teach the younger generation. And to the older members of this congregation, in wisdom and age, of course, that is one of your duties as an older member of this congregation, or whichever congregation you may be a part of, is to teach the younger generation I've had the privilege of speaking several times recently in a Dutch Reformed church on the other side of the state of North Carolina. And I can tell you that it's beautiful to watch that familial structure kind of work out. Because you see three generations in a lot of ways. You see a grandfather and then his grandson and then a son or a daughter. And you often see the grandfather take the son or the daughter and the grandchild to the side and say, let me teach you something about what you need to know. It's a beautiful thing. And that's one of the things that wisdom does. It teaches the younger generation. And that's what Solomon is intending to do here, too, through his Proverbs. He's looking to teach his children. A worthy goal, is it not? So how do we apply these texts? How do we understand this reason for seeking wisdom? Well, God's Proverbs give wisdom to those seeking to live God's way in God's world. As I said in the introduction, there are many people who purport to be wise and who claim to be as such, who are nothing more than snake oil salesmen, who seek to live in God's world apart from God's way. After all, this is what Adam and Eve did. When Adam partook of the forbidden fruit, he wanted knowledge without God. He wanted knowledge in his own way without having to learn from the Father. He wanted the immediate results of wisdom and of knowledge without having to go through the triune God. Now, there are some good reasons why these Proverbs, they simply apply God's truth to our daily lives. One can read through the book of Proverbs and see very short, pithy sayings. That simply means something just very quick and off the cuff, as it were. After all, we've memorized many of these. Certainly, if we've been in the church for any amount of time, go to the ant, thou sluggard. That's a very wise thought process and saying. But all of these Proverbs, this is what Solomon is getting at. They are God's Proverbs applying God's truths to our daily lives in God's world. Wisdom dictates that if a person has created something, they know more about it than a person from the outside. If I was to go to Henry Ford, for instance, and ask him how a Ford motor worked in the 1920s, wisdom would dictate that he probably knows more about it than I do. That's a wise thought. Not only that, but God's Proverbs instruct in what those three qualities that we discussed a moment ago, righteousness, justice, and equity. God's Proverbs instruct in what those things are. 
If you, O man or O woman, truly want to learn what justice is, what righteousness is, what equality truly is, against all the myriad of the foolishness in our culture, we go to the Proverbs. We go to the Scriptures. We go to the God who has created these very things. And we learn from Him what true righteousness, justice, and equality looks like. After all, if we truly want wisdom, and if you are a truly wise person, you want more of this wisdom. You're going to go to the scriptures. You're going to go to the author of the scriptures. You're going to plead to Christ and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Give me a heart of discernment and understanding. Also, God's Proverbs train up a new generation of believers within the covenant community. So to the younger people in this congregation, listen to the elders. It may not seem like the most fun thing to do sometimes when your grandfather or your mom or dad is trying to tell you something. But I can promise you this, because the scriptures get to this, if you listen to them now, it'll save you a lot of heartache later on. If you want to go and sow your wild oats when you're 14 and 15, remember what your grandparents taught you. Remember a godly man or woman in the church telling you exactly how to live and how to apply God's truth to your life. Remember those things. It will save you a lot of heartache later. Because that's what Solomon is trying to get through his son's head. And of course his son didn't listen too much. And half the kingdom, more than half the kingdom left. That's why you have the split kingdom after the end of Solomon's reign. Now the wisdom of Solomon here. This seeking wisdom. This constant quest for wisdom. It's not lived in just a moralistic way. It's lived out. First and foremost, in the active obedience of Jesus Christ. We understand that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the Logos, the wisdom of God unto salvation. This ultimate wisdom, this righteousness, justice, and equity, this ethical instruction, this truly philosophical way of living, this truly way to love wisdom is first and foremost seen not in Solomon, but in the one who is greater than Solomon, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord, the truly wisest man who ever lived. So wise, in fact, that no truly sane person can go to the pages of the New Testament and say either this man was a fool or this man was an unethical person. Even the atheist of today can look at the sermons of Christ Jesus, can look at what he says about righteousness, justice, and equality. No truly sane person nor sane atheist, if they are giving it a second thought, can say that this man was a terrible human being. They may not believe in him. They may not put their faith and trust in him. They may not live according to the scriptures. But it truly takes a darkened and depraved human being, to look at the pages of what Christ has to say on the pages of Scripture and say this man was an unwise human being. Everyone, to some extent, realizes there is wisdom in these pages. That's one of the things that makes Lewis's trilemma, C.S. Lewis, the great British author who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, so damaging to the atheist or to the non-believer. And in that trilemma, all it simply is, is that when you read what Christ has to say, what the Bible has to say about wisdom, about Christ, there are three things that they could be regarding the person of Jesus Christ, wisdom incarnate. The first one is he's totally insane. He actually says that he's God in the flesh after all. That's the first option. 
Second option is he's a liar. Now a liar can't raise himself from the dead, can he? A liar wouldn't be able to do the things that he did. He was vindicated by signs and wonders and testimony. True wisdom says there's a third option. He is who he says he is. He's been vindicated by the truth. And he truly was the wisest man to ever live. He lives out these principles of righteousness, justice, and equity. The wisdom of Solomon is all summed up in the person of Christ Jesus. The truly wise man who is seeking wisdom will say, I know what wisdom looks like because of what the scripture says. And Christ Jesus lives that out. Not only that, brothers and sisters, take encouragement from this. Because this is a big one. If you are truly grasping Christ by faith, If you are truly united to him by faith, you have been crucified with Christ, and there yet you still live. Though the life you live now is lived by faith in the Son of God. If that is true and indicative of your life, you have the wisdom of Christ living within you. You are united to him by faith. Is that not a marvelous truth? All of this truth that Solomon is getting at, it's lived out in Christ Jesus. If you believe in him by faith, you are united to him. Now that doesn't mean that we live exactly like him 100% of the time because of that war going in within us. As we constantly fight the flesh. As we constantly crucify the deeds of the flesh and live unto Christ again. But you have access to that heavenly wisdom. And true wisdom says you're going to follow the wisest man who ever lived. The greater Solomon. The Lord Jesus Christ. That should excite us. That should urge us to continue going forward in this quest for seeking wisdom. Because true wisdom is summed up in Christ Jesus. So the Proverbs here are like having a wise man walk with you. Teaching you everything he's learned about life. If you're an older man in this congregation, imagine if your grandfather or father was still around to teach you. You might can recall a lot of times in your life. I can recall some in mind, too, of sitting at the feet of my grandfather or my great-grandfather even and learning a lot of wisdom from them, somebody who's gone before. Do you teach your children in that way? What about your adult children? Do you still seek to give them advice? My wife can tell you, and she does as well as well as do I, we often seek out our parents' counsel on things still, even though we've been out of the house for a little while. Because true wisdom dictates... And says, I'm going to listen to somebody else. First and foremost, we listen to Christ. How do you get wisdom? You go to the wisest man who ever lived, the Son of God. Secondly, you go to others in the church, in the covenant community, the body of Christ. And you say, you know something that I don't know and I want in on this. Next, we see the wise man search for wisdom in verses 5 through 6. We read, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. So the wise man listens for wisdom. If you're truly wise, you're going to understand that you don't understand everything. That would be foolishness. You're going to continue seeking to gain more wisdom. You're going to continue seeking to hear and increase in your learning. And even though you may have some understanding, the one who understands here, he's still obtaining guidance. He's still wanting to know more. This is particularly pertains to the Christian faith. I can tell you when I was first born again, when I was about 18 years of age, and when I turned 19 about a year later, I thought I had a lot of knowledge already in my head. 
Surely I know enough about the scriptures. And I remember preaching my first sermon when I was 19 in Mobile, Alabama at a rescue mission. And I got out from the pulpit. And uh, my pastor, who's about 75 years old or so, had Parkinson's disease and shook really, really badly. And I got down thinking like a young man does, very proud, very full of himself, thinking I've got it, hit the nail on the head. Preached a banger sermon right there. And everybody's going to remember it in the audience. And my 105-pound pastor, shaken from Parkinson's disease, and I'll never forget this, doesn't even look me in the eye, just looks down and slowly hands me a piece of paper and then walks away. And I have never received a harsher sermon critique than what that little man gave me that day. And if that doesn't humble you and bring you down a little bit and understand you don't have it all right, you need to keep going, which was basically what his critique was summed up in. True wisdom knows when to hear and to increase in learning. True wisdom knows that you don't have it all figured out. You need to keep going forward. And what does this wisdom do? Well, in particular for this book, it's to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So the wise is going to listen to another person who he knows is wiser than him. Someone else who has wisdom. That's one of the beauties about the church, after all. That's one of the beauties about the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul picks this up as well. Not all people in the body are eyes. Not all people in the body are brains. Because then where would the sense of smell be? Or where would the sense of hearing be? There are others in the body of Christ, in the church, who make up for where we fall short. Even the greatest of pastors realizes that too. That there are good elders, there are good deacons, there are good laymen and laywomen whom he can learn from still. Who are going to make up where he falls short. It's one of the beauties of my own congregation back in Greer too. Is We have some elders that if I call up one of them. He's an engineer by the way. I know that if I had an electrical problem in my house. I'm not going to look at it myself because I would kill myself. I'm going to call him first and foremost. And that's a beautiful thing about the body of Christ. Is we can continue to understand and gain the words of the wise and their riddles. We can understand those things in the body of Christ. The wisdom of the Lord, too, it's for the youngest babe to the wisest of men. And there's always room for increasing, as a truly wise man will say. A truly wise man understands that he hasn't gained it yet, that he's going to continue pressing forward. Think about Peter's statement about Paul's epistles in 2 Peter. He even admits there that there are some things in Paul's epistles that are hard to understand and can be misinterpreted. But even the Apostle Peter himself, who walked with Christ, knew when to sit down and listen to the Apostle Paul. He even admitted that he was going to do that. Also by way of illustration, I lived in Texas for several years, and I remember hearing this, that there was a cattle rancher and a government agent who came down. The cattle rancher was an older man who owned about a couple thousand head of cattle or so in South Texas. And he warned this government agent, you can look anywhere you want to on my property, but do not go in that pasture over there. Don't go there, because something's going to happen. The government agent, of course, thinking, well, I'm a big shot Washington agent. I don't have to listen to you whatsoever. You're just a country yokel. Goes into that pasture and says, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to go look over there, because you're probably hiding something. The farmer shrugs and simply says, that's fine, do what you want to do. And about 30 seconds later, he hears a loudest scream he's ever heard because a two-ton bull is chasing that federal agent in his suit out to the other side of the pasture. 
Now, what was his problem? He didn't listen. He didn't heed the words of the wise. If you're a mature Christian, you feel that too, don't you? If there's one thing I've learned in my seminary career too, it's that I don't know anything and I need to keep pressing forward. So let us continue doing that, brothers and sisters. If you're truly wise, you know that you're not truly wise. It's almost against each other, isn't it? But the truly wise man says, I don't know all of these things and I need to keep going. So brothers and sisters, are you actively searching and seeking for biblical wisdom? Are you seeking to understand everything on your own or struggling with your sin alone? Are you seeking out the wisdom of the saints? Because that is what wisdom does. It seeks the God of the saints and it seeks the counsel of the saints. Thirdly, finishing up here too, in verse 7, we see the source of this wisdom. Because wisdom does not first and foremost come from outside in the world. It comes from above. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now that fear there too, it's not a servile fear. It's not fear of being damned if we don't seek him out. But it is a reverence. It is a knowledge of who the Lord truly is and what he can do. After all, the apostle to the Hebrews says, Do not fear man, but fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. We are to fear the Lord first and foremost. And that fear of the Lord, that reverential Fear and respect of who he is. That is the beginning of knowledge. A pagan cannot have true knowledge to the deepest extent. Why? Because he doesn't fear the Lord. He may understand certain things. 2 plus 2 equals 4. He may understand that when I cross two wires in an electrical circuit, it's going to make a spark. But does he know what the chief end of man is? To glorify God and enjoy him forever? Absolutely not. Because he is not united to Christ by faith. He does not fear the Lord. And if you do not fear the Lord, you cannot have this knowledge. Take heart with this too, brothers and sisters. Even the youngest of Christians, at a five-year-old, a five-year-old Christian, or a 50-year-old Christian, you have more knowledge and more wisdom than the wisest man who's ever lived who does not know Christ. Why? Because they have all of that knowledge and yet they go to hell. They do not have true wisdom. They do not have true knowledge. You, if you are united to Christ by faith, have true knowledge, true wisdom, because you are united to Christ by faith. You have grasped hold of Him and have said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That is the beginning of true knowledge. But look what the fool does. The fool is the one who despises wisdom and instruction. The fool says, I've got it figured out. The fool is the one who has said in his heart that there is no God, the psalmist reads. The truly foolish man, though he may be the most intelligent man in the eyes of the world, he's still a fool and he has no true knowledge because he does not grasp the truest of knowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord, that he has died and has been slain for sinners. So brothers and sisters, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? One of the most intelligent men who ever lived was Stephen Hawking, who was in the wheelchair, who came up with exactly what a black hole was in certain ways. Or Neil deGrasse Tyson, another astrophysicist, one of the smartest men that you can ever see or to know or know, and yet says that his greatest idea about where humanity came from is that we were basically alien poop at one time. Now to a truly wise person, that's foolishness. 
But professing themselves to become wise, they became fools. Because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. To the world, that's wisdom. Alien dung. Paul counts that all as dung as well, doesn't he? His former life in Judaism, nothing but dung. True satisfaction, true knowledge, true wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. How do you fear the Lord? You go through Christ Jesus. You grasp Him by faith. And you hold on to Him for the rest of your days. Stephen Hawking died not too, too long ago, actually. He had all of that knowledge, all of that insight into physics and science. One of the most intelligent people to have ever lived on the face of this planet. But what did that profit him in the end? Absolutely nothing. A worthless life lived. The youngest of our covenant children who truly believe in Christ Jesus live a life that's vastly more wise than his. Why? Because they know Christ. They know the source and the fount of all knowledge and wisdom. And it can be yours too if you will but come to Him by faith, seeking Christ Jesus. That wisdom is yours because it comes from the Bible first and foremost. Brothers and sisters, let us listen to the words of Solomon. Let us listen to the words of God spoken through Solomon, through the pages of Holy Scripture. These Proverbs are perfect. They are the Word of God. General truths at times, yes, absolutely. But this is life in God's world. Let us truly be wise men and women of the faith, understanding that this is what God has said regarding wisdom. Not what the world says. Not all of the vast theories out there that come from the universities. But it comes through the simple knowledge that God is sovereign, that Christ has died for sinners slain, And that the Holy Spirit applies that truth to each and every one of our hearts. If we will but come to Him and cry out for grace. That knowledge can be yours and it can be mine. And the truly wise man understands that. Because the truly wise man understands who God is and what He has done. So we gain this by crying out to Christ. By forsaking our sins and following after Him. It's not done through meditation. It's not done through monasticism by going out into the woods and simply sitting there. And it's not done through simply being sad and mopey all the time like Nietzsche or Socrates. It's done through holding on to Christ. Are you holding on to him? Is that what you are doing? Because the truly wise man in God's sight understands that and is seeking after true wisdom which is found in Christ Jesus. The Christian, unlike Socrates or Nietzsche or Buddha, dies well. Why? Because he knows who Christ is. He knows what comes after all of this short existence has to offer. And he knows that when we go into western lands, as Tolkien wrote, that there we will see our maker, our Jesus, our Christ. And is that not the wisest way to live? So let us live this life as a wise man would, as Christ commands us to. Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we do confess that you have written the words of wisdom, that you gave them to Solomon, Father. And my prayer is is that you would give us this wisdom as well, which can be ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, our prayer is, is that if there are none here, if there is one here that does not know you, that is not actively seeking wisdom, but is captivated by worldly wisdom and is walking through vanity fair, as Bunyan once wrote, 
Father, our prayer is is that they would run away from Vanity Fair. They would leave the city of destruction. That they would go to the yonder wicked gate. Cry out to the one who was on the cross. Saying, save me, Lord. That they would be saved. And that you would grant them the words of eternal life. Father, that is our prayer. May we continue to seek the wisdom which has been had by many before us in the faith. By King Solomon. By King David. May we have this wisdom which Christ so freely offers to us. May we know him and fear the Lord, unlike the fools of this world who despise true wisdom and instruction. We ask that in the holy name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you would, brothers and sisters, for our closing hymn, hymn number 524, Thy works, not mine in Christ. Amen.